The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world, and we're welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do by now, and all of our material will be available to you if you subscribe. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and choose the subscription that makes more sense to you. You can all the way from three months, make it recurring, or go all the way to two years. We have hundreds of interviews available to you. And the same goes for Sanitas Radio. Many people ask me, why do you keep both shows separate? And there's a very specific reason that I don't have the time to explain. As you know, with Veritas, my goal is to inform the world, to teach and to find out everything about the hidden knowledge being kept from us, being kept secret from humanity. And with Sanitas, well, that's a different program, as you know. And my goal there is to unlock our full potential because it's our life. We have to take control. So I hope you enjoy Veritas and also give Sanitas a try. It was in the early 1990s when John Anthony West and geologist Professor Robert Schock revealed something shocking, no pun intended. Their theory that the Great Sphinx of Giza in Egypt showed evidence of rainfall erosion. And why is that so important? Such erosion could only mean that the Sphinx was carved during or before the rains that marked the transition of northern Africa from the last ice age to the present interglacial epoch. And what this all means is that the Sphinx, according to John Anthony West, is much older than what others are predicting and others feel. John Anthony West is coming up right now on Veritas. John Anthony West is a writer, scholar, and Pythagorean. He is the author of The Traveler's Key to Ancient Egypt, Serpent in the Sky, The High Wisdom of Ancient Egypt, The Case for Astrology, as well as consulting editor for The Traveler's Key series. John writes articles, essays, and criticism for the New York Times Book Review, Condé Nast Traveler, and others. He won an Emmy Award for his 1993 NBC special documentary, The Mystery of the Sphinx, hosted by the late Charlton Heston. He is the leading authority and proponent of the Symbolist School of Egyptology, an alternative interpretation of ancient Egyptian. In addition, John lectures extensively on Egypt and personally leads several in-depth study tours to Egypt every year. And to learn more about John Anthony West and his work, visit his website at jawest.com. 
which is also linked at ours. And this is going to be a real treat for all of you, Egyptophiles or Egyptophiles, depending on where you are listening around the world. I would like to welcome the man, the tireless researcher, the author, the proofreader of history, the legend, the rogue Egyptologist, John Anthony West. Hello, Mr. West, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, thank you, Mel. John, remember that? Thank you very <laughs> much. Thank you. I always have to say that so people know that I'm being polite. Uh, I see. Okay, you know, you don't have to be polite. Actually. Thank you. And right from, right from the beginning, I want to thank Clay, one of our listeners who lives in Shanghai, who was in one of your tours in oh, Egypt. Oh, right. Yes. Hello, Clay. Yes, Clay. He put us, uh, put you and I in touch, so I want that's to right. give credit oh, that's to him. That's right. He did. Yes, he did. So, exactly. Clay, thank you for brokering this uh, interview. Now, since this is your first time on Veritas, John, I want to give your, the listeners who may not be familiar with you a little perspective. How and when did you get on this path? Um, and directly, um, around 1963 or 1964, indirectly, a lot of years more than that, because, without going into a long palaver, at, at the age of 13, I realized that I'd been born into a lunatic asylum, and everybody else called it progress. <laughs> and by the time I was 19, <clears throat> I knew what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to be the little boy who said the emperor has no clothes and prove to everyone that it really was a lunatic asylum. Anyway, I had no sense of ever of doing scholarship. My, uh, my, my medium actually was writing. I was a writer, and, um, and specifically a satirist. And I started off writing uh, short stories, novels, plays, scripts, screenplays. Um, but when, I mean, needless to say, like practically all, um, incipient writers or, or beginning writers. I had a number of years of zero success and lots of frustration and re rejection slips. When my first short story was sold, and that I count as my actual birthday, my real birthday, my birth birthday, July 9th, 1932, everybody goes through one of those just on different days. But my professional birthday, that was October 15th, 1957. I was 25. My first short story was accepted by a very prestigious and adventurous magazine, alas, no longer functioning. And I was at the time working as a copywriter on Madison Avenue, and a good one too. I was I was pretty good at that. And uh, uh, I was I was actually I was wildly in love with a woman who wouldn't have me. Thank God. And I said. The hell with this. I'm off. I'm back to Europe, where I'd spent a year and a half in the U.S. Army, 53 to 55. And I found, I wended my way, I found my way almost miraculously, because who knew about such places, to the, to the wonderful, then unspoiled island of Ibiza. And there I parked myself and stayed with forays away. But there I stayed for almost nine years. And it was there that... I mean, I was getting my writing done. I had a book of short stories published, a couple of plays produced, nothing that made any money, but nevertheless, substantial. On paper, it looked like it was a pretty substantial track record. But there, while in Ibiza, again, I won't go into detail, but I got interested first in astrology, which never interested me before or that I care about it. But I realized that through a friend of mine there, a very good friend, 
and a very good Dutch novelist who I caught um, inadvertently preparing horoscopes and said, what the hell are you doing, Jan? And he said, oh, he said, you caught me. I'm, I'm an astrologer in my spare time to make some extra money. And my, uh, my uh, instinctive response was, astrology, that's, that's a bunch of bullshit, isn't it? And he looked me square in the eye. He was a war hero, had a, one of the heads of the resistance press in Holland. And he said, do you think I'm crazy? And I said, well, no, you're, you're drunk, but you're not crazy. And um, he laughed and said, well, I tell you there's something to it. I've been studying it for 20 years. And he gave me some books. He said, oh, my next question was, well, would you, would you do my horoscope? And he said, no, get stuff, do your own. And he handed me a bunch of books. And since anything in the whole wide world is easier than writing, in my, in my, in my considerable experience, I went back and started studying these books. And they were kind of very old-fashioned books, sort of theosophical in, in, in cast. They had a, a whiff of, of blue-rinsed, white-haired old ladies in, in tennis shoes about them. But there was something there. There was something that really struck me, not so much the interpretive side of it, but that, that it was a very ancient, sacred science that connected human beings individually and collectively with with the, with the you know with the stars with the heavens actually really anyway again more long story that I won't go into one thing led to another I got very I became acquainted with the Gurdjieff work um, which attracted me almost immediately uh, Gurdjieff is a very extraordinary character I don't know how familiar you are with him or or the people in our audience but anyway um, a great a great teacher, uh, an extraordinary personality and individual. Anyway, uh, I think what attracted me most about him, apart from this... Was he the hypnotist? Well, he, though, among his, he, not professionally, but I mean among his, among his skills were that he was a skilled hypnotist. But what, what attracted me mostly then was that he was the, the first person I'd ever encountered, albeit posthumously, he died in 49, so I missed him, mm. but not by that many years. Um, but he was the first person I'd ever encountered who was as contemptuous of Western civilization as I was. Uh, the difference was, actually, that he knew how to live in it, and I didn't, not very easily anyway. And eventually, um, I got very interested in the Gurdjieff work, and at a certain point, decided really what I had to do was to leave a base. I'd been there for eight, almost nine years. And it had gotten all touristed up this wonderful medieval island. It was um, by another name. The the, the novel the, the novel published in the sixties. Almost was a big movie on a couple of occasions. Didn't happen. But anyway, really, it was the story of Ibiza, the last island in the world where human beings could escape the forces of progress and live lives uh, approaching something like dignity and serenity. Anyway. Um, it was time to leave Ibiza, and I moved to England, where where they had a school. The, the choices in those days, it's pretty widespread, the Gurdjieff work. And, I mean, I'm, I'm now in a group right around where I live, which is near Woodstock, New York. And But then it was either Paris, where I didn't want to go because my French was pretty rudimentary, and England, which was good, because the woman I was going out with at that time... Um, ultimately my first wife, 
was an actress and she could get work in England and I spoke the language and or America where I absolutely didn't want to go back to and never thought ever in my whole life that I was ever going to go back there but I did in 78 that's another story which I won't tell here anyway um I got myself involved in the Gurdjieff work in um in uh in London in one of the groups and was having um, a, a pint with my editor of the publishing house that published my my novel called Osborne's Army, which I will somewhere along the line, not too long from now, uh, self-republish because it's, it's it holds up pretty well, and I would like to see it back in print. Who knows? It could still be a movie. Anyhow, the we were having a, a, a pint. We were good friends, the editor and myself. He was about my age, young guy, well, 30s early 30s and uh, the subject of astrology came up and uh, he said oh that's a bunch of codswallop and I said no it isn't as a matter of fact I know a lot about this and if you put all of the evidence together there's some of it direct but much more of it that's indirect you'd actually have a case for astrology and he said well that really interests me would you let me see the documentation that you have so I brought in what I had and he said well that is really interesting would you do a book on it? And uh, I said, basically, I'd say almost the same thing today. Yeah, you pay me, a, pay me some money, I'll pay a, do a book on anything. That's not quite true, but it's not far off, actually. I, I was desperate then and not much uh, financially and not much better off today. I'm actually living proof that fame and fortune do not necessarily go together. Anyway, I've survived all of these years. So... Um, we had a contract, and one of the people in my Gurdjieff group called my attention to, because I was in the process of looking into the history of astrology, which I was convinced, in part from Gurdjieff's writing, uh, in part because um, I was convinced that it was not a, a Chaldean or Babylonian superstition made made faux rational by the Greeks. I thought it was much, much older than that and that there was really a basis in truth to it. And somebody put me onto a novel called Herbach, two two volume novel called Herbach and Herbach Disciple by a woman named Isha Shvala de Lubitsch. And uh, that book uh, that was written originally in French but it had been translated and I got copies of it and even though as a novel it was quite dreadful, people even intel- very intelligent people think it's easy to write a novel because they've got good ideas, but novels, good novels have people in them and characters and plots and things of that sort. So it was, it was really irritating as a novel, but she kept on referring. There were footnotes, a strange novel full of footnotes, referring to her husband's work, uh, Le Temple de l'Homme in French, of course, uh, The Temple of Man. And, um, and eventually... I got fascinated by, it was clear that the simplest interpretation of Egypt is what both adherents and, um, and, um, and, and, and uh, opponents call uh, Schwaller's work, symbol, <clears throat> the simplest interpretation of Egypt. And I finally bit the bullet, living in London, all the way out in Ealing, which is, which is to which is to central London what, let's say, Coney Island is to New York, the other end of the, of the subway or tube, as it's called in England. And I made my way to the library, the, the British Museum, and sure enough, they had a copy 
of the book that had not never been opened. It was there since it had been published ten years or so, and the signatures had not been cut. It was in French in those days in France. I don't know what it's like nowadays. Books are published with the signatures intact, so you actually have to cut the pages in order to get into the book, which is kind of it's a sort of ceremony. It's a, a kind of a ritual. I miss that with French books. Anyway. Um, and my French was just rudimentary, but um, I got the, took the book out and, and cut the pages and riffled through. And by this time, I'd you know I'd had enough, a lot published. Um, as I said, not making any money, but uh, you know I was a pro. Uh, reviews and plays and a novel and a book of short stories and essays and just, you know I was I was uh, I was a professional. And if you're a pro, you don't need an awful lot to judge um, the work in your own field. You know, if you're a baseball player, you watch somebody take three swings of the bat, and you know if the guy plays the game. You're a musician, you're a violinist. You listen to somebody play his scales, and it tells you if the guy can handle the instrument. So with me, with a book, I could just kind of riffle through the pages, and it was quite clear to me instantly uh, that this was this was something of immense importance. It was It was the reformulation of the sacred science of Egypt that people had been talking about since the Greeks, but that had not never come down to us intact. It came by various routes indirectly through the actually through the the, the magicians and Kabbalists and and uh, number symbolists of the of the high Renaissance before that, through the Sufis before that, through the Neoplatonists and the Pythagorean schools of Greece, but nothing that really Nothing intact. I mean, alchemy and astrology and magic and number symbolism are all parts of that ancient Egyptian doctrine, but they're only, they're, they're only chunks of it, and the doctrine itself was never, had never been reformulated. Gurdjieff talks about it, but in his own um, elliptical way, and it's not, that's not scholarship. It has its own advantages. Scholarship isn't the be-all and end-all of, of truth, actually, but to have it in one, actually three massive volumes, two volumes of text and one volume of pictures, was, in my opinion, an immense, an absolutely immense achievement. I mean, I, I personally believe that Schwaller's magisterial work, he wrote a number of other books as well, but this one, that now beautifully translated and, and, and in print, um, wonderful translation, um, was... Let me just say... Let me say something about you. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but sure, you have no, referred me. You have referred me to somebody I was not aware of before. I have heard his name, but wasn't his work very similar to Schwaller? Uh, because he said most uh, George Gurdjieff. I'm referring to folks. Most humans live their lives in a state of hypnotic walking sleep, but it is possible to transcend to a higher state of consciousness and achieve full human potential. That's Gurdjieff saying that exactly. Yeah, well, they actually, they were both in Paris at the same time. And, and at one point, I, I, I thought it was, it, it, it's almost identical, I thought, except that Gurdjieff is a practice, and Schwaller is not his practice, it's scholarship. I mean, he had his own practice, he was a practicing alchemist. But the one is a school, and the other is a teaching. It's quite different. But, yeah, they're, they're speaking the same language. And um, it's exactly what Schroller could have said, exactly those, the same thing in, in almost the same words. But there was, in fact, no connection with them because when I was writing... 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.